Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to throw a verse up on the screen. We read it once today. But I just want us to look at it again. I just want us to sit just for a minute. I just want us to read it. I just want to sit in it. Just... So Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I think a lot of times we look at Scripture and we disconnect it unintentionally when really you can't do that when approaching Scripture. And we're, we're in the book of Luke. If you're visiting, we're walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we're really just getting started. Um, but as we look at the passage we're going to look at today, just ever, let, let's just kind of let this verse sit in the back of your mind about who it is our high priest is. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 39 through 52. It's a, it's a story. Uh, a bit of a narrative, so bear with us as, as we read this. Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group that went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you, Vanessa. Um, I think I can conclude that this passage of Luke we are less familiar with than the passage in Luke chapter 2 that we went over last week. It's still the same chapter. But if any of you are familiar with like the Charlie Brown Christmas, don't raise your hand, I know you've all seen it. Like Linus did not read this part of Luke chapter two when he read the Christmas story, which I would argue is the single greatest moment in television history, by the way. When Linus reads the Christmas story, I gotta choke back tears every time that he does it. But compared to the first half of Luke, like we, we don't really dive into this passage a ton. Um, so side note, stepping out, I meant to tell you guys this. So uh, I want to ask you guys to pray for Daniel. He, 
went and got some things checked out this week. We need to remember him in our prayer. We got a little bit of a, uh, the test results back from when he <laughs> went to the doctor. Um, if that makes no sense to you, you weren't here last week when we went through the Christmas story. Okay? If you were here last week, this makes perfect sense to you. Um, so Pastor Grinch is, uh, I mean Daniel, so anyway, I'm just kidding. Back to the story, back to the story. Anyway, I think he has a bigger heart than that, but maybe not. Why did Luke include this passage? Why did he write this? Like, what do we have to learn about Jesus? We're in this gospel of Luke. We're going to learn some things about Jesus for, I mean, the rest of this year. Every time you come in here, we are going to look at this gospel of Luke. But what is it that we have to learn in this passage? And I would argue that we tend to allow big events to, to minimize as time passes. Now stay with me, okay? It's, I think it's human nature to forget or move past monumental events, okay? So let's just take like 9-11, okay? That's a really big deal. But the further we get removed from it, I mean, we, have, we try to remember it each year. Anybody wake up this morning thinking about 9-11, Okay, what about, you remember Hurricane Katrina? Right, that was a big deal. Dominated the news for a long, long time. Anybody? Just heart aching over what happened with Hurricane Katrina? No, right? No, we'll go a positive route. If you know me, you know uh, I love, uh, you know, I love Jesus and I love my family and then I love college football, okay? So exactly 12 years ago, what I, I believe is the best national championship of all time, which is when the Texas Longhorns played against uh, USC, right? If you remember that game, it's back and forth, and it was just a phenomenal game 12 years ago. Now, here's what I remember. All of a sudden, I see like Longhorn bumper stickers in Springfield, Missouri. You know what I'm saying? Like t-shirts, like there were guys and girls running around doing this. They hadn't done that in their whole life, but now this is like, oh yeah, hook them. Like, Come on. And what's funny is I don't see those bumper stickers anymore. Like I'm not seeing a whole lot of this 12 years removed from that national championship game. It's not a big deal. So by way of review, here we are in this passage this morning, and it's 12 years removed from a big announcement. We have this pre-birth announcement of Jesus that says he is the Holy One. And then we have this announcement at his birth. Daniel talked about it last week. A Savior, which is Christ, the Lord. And then you can read in chapter 2 where when Jesus was 40 days old, he goes to the temple for some ritual things that were done in Judaism, and he's called salvation. And then there's this gap from 40 days old to 12. What happened? Like, what was Jesus' childhood like? And I would argue that it was just pretty normal and mundane. Like, I think Jesus had a messy diaper or two. I think that Jesus cried when he cut his teeth. I think Jesus slammed his fingers and doors. 
I think he scraped his elbows and his knees. I think he spilled his food at the dinner table. And I think that was his life. And all that is said about Jesus and his life between 40 days old and 12 years old is verse 40 of chapter 2, which says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, I'm not going to unpack that verse. If, if I'm just honest, I think that's kind of what happens in healthy environments for most people. And I think Joseph and Mary had a life to live. And I think they lived it. And here we are, 12 years removed from this monumental announcement. What was going on? What was going on? Verse 41 says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Just we can look at that verse and know, hey, they were devout followers of Yahweh. They, they loved God and did what God said. They just lived their life. Then on in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, he being Jesus, they went up according to custom. Now we cannot brush over that when he was 12 years old statement. What would the life of a Jewish boy at 12 look like? Here's what most of us might know is that at 13, a Jewish boy would have become what's called a son of the commandment. And this is when he would be held accountable for his life and for his actions. I want to read here. It says, the 12th year was the final year of preparation for a boy before he entered full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. Up until that time, his parents, especially his father, that's important, were teaching him the commandments of the law. But at the end of the 12th year, the child goes through a ceremony by which he formally takes on the yoke of the law and becomes a son of the commandment or bar mitzvah. And it's in this 12th year that we find Jesus. It's also said that in the 12th year, a boy would have been spending a bulk of his time in a very intentional conversations and training with his father. The Jewish father would have bulked up his teaching and investment into his son in preparation for that all-important 13th year. Who would have been doing this with Jesus? Joseph, his dad. Now, let me step out of the text just for a minute because I have to address, I have to address this. I think we can learn something from Judaism and how they treat their young people. If you notice, like, accountability starting at age 13, is that so foreign to us? <laughs> like, we hear 12 and 13 and we're like little kids. Little kids. You guys know me, you know my heart has been burdened over redeeming what manhood looks like in our country, what womanhood looks like in our country. And I don't, while I probably can't have a big impact on the culture overall, I can have an impact here within Hill City Church. Like, what would it look like if we started treating and holding accountable our young men and women within the church? I know many, parent, many parents are starting to do this, but what if this was the culture of our church? What would it look like if we treated our young men and women, get this, like young men and women? 
Like what if we spoke to them not like children, but like young men and women? What if we began to leak some responsibility within the church and then hold them accountable to ministry and service within Hill City Church? What if we begin to speak a blessing over our kids, our young teenagers, as they enter into manhood and womanhood? And that's what we try to do here when you hear us talk about times, moments, and milestones as we, as we work so hard. We've got Emily and Emily and Melanie and Candace that diligently work as they're trying to create those spaces where we can do that. What if we did that? Because here's the thing, in Jewish tradition, they would do that at 13, but even more, they, were, they would expect even more when the young man and young woman became 18 and then became 20. Like 13 was this threshold age where they would cross into manhood, but then responsibility would continue to grow and to grow and to grow. So let me take this moment. I need to talk to our high school young men and women, and I want to talk to our college young men and women. Um... Grown-ups do not play Fortnite five hours a night, multiple nights a week. I see some of you like, what? Play what? <laughs> they know what it is, okay? <laughs> like you are not viewing your life. If that is you, you are not viewing your life and the potential of your life through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you don't get to do that and then get upset when your mom or dad or your pastor talks to you like a child. Parents, if your kids are playing hours and hours of that, like you and I need to talk, okay? Let's go back to the text. You get me though, right? You get me? Okay. It's not like way off from the college kids. So Jesus, here he is at 12. He's coming upon this major milestone and he's culturally expected to enter this manhood. And then in verse 43, when the feast was ended and there were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. So the 12-year-old Jesus chooses to stay behind and not go back with his parents. Now listen, this is not some like after church feast that they were at where they go eat for a couple hours and go home. We're talking like a party. Okay, this was like a seven-day party that they were involved in, and then they were returning home from the feast. So I don't want us to view it like, oh, how can Mary and Joseph lose him? Like he just stayed behind at the Golden Corral or something. They should have just put him in the car, but... That's not what we're talking about. This was a big, long, week party that they were heading home from. In verse 44, But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, I feel Mary and Joseph right here. Let me tell you why. So back when Jenny and I only had two kids, we have four now, we had two kids, right? And Brecken was about as tall as this stool and Brody was like here, okay? Um, Jenny wanted to go for a run, okay? She works out, she goes for a run. She said, hey, I'm going for a run, watch the boys. I'm like, I got it. Boop, she takes off, movie. Okay, that's what dads do. <laughs> so they're laying on my bed 
watching a movie. I go to the back deck to just chill and listen to birds, because if you know me, you know, also know that I don't just love college football. I love to just go to the back deck and chill. So I do that, and I lose track of time. I'm like, oh, I need to go check and make sure the boys are okay, because Jenny doesn't do like 10-minute runs, you know what I'm saying? If you run, you know what I'm talking about. It's like she's gone. So I go to my room to check on the boys, check on the movie, and I only have one son on my bed, and it's Brody. I said, Brody, where's your brother? I don't know. I didn't know I had a brother. I'm watching a movie. <laughs> All right? That's basically how he is. That's okay. Uh, Brecken, Brecken, I'm yelling, Brecken, Brecken. I run all the way through the house. I go outside, I'm yelling, Brecken, Brecken. He's nowhere to be found. I come back in, Brody, get your shoes on, we got to get in the car. So we get in the car, take off down the driveway, down the road. Now, this is not like a 15-mile-an-hour suburb, suburban road here, okay? We're talking like country road, motorcycles, like big trucks with big tires and, you know, that kind of silly stuff. So I make a turn, I go down the road. About a quarter mile, I see a crowd, and a police car, <laughs> and I get closer and closer, and there's little Brecken sitting on a quilt, and I pull up, and I'm like, that's my son, and then every single eye turned on me like, you're the worst human on the planet. <laughs> How could you? Cop followed me home, wrote something down. I come home from church the next Sunday. I got like a social worker in my driveway. I think I have a file. I don't know if any of you work for the state. Let me know but I think I have some sort of parenting file for that. Jenny comes up the driveway. There's a police car in the driveway. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. nothing. I mean, just, Brecken just went for a walk. He's back. <laughs> Safe. Listen, I was, parents, you get, I was so scared. I was freaking out. And even still to this day, they're like, I play things that could have happened in my mind. It's not good. I was so scared. Like, I get Mary and Joseph right here. I don't care if your kids are two or they're 12 or wherever. If you don't know where they are and you don't know how well they're doing, you're scared. Aren't you, mom and dad? Oh, Mary and Joseph had to be scared. But why is this in the Bible? Here's why I think one reason. I think it's for multiple reasons. One of the reasons I think this is in the Bible is I think it was a very human thing that Jesus did. It's not out of the ordinary for a kid to do that. And Luke, as we, you will see as we continue in this book, Luke is very careful to let us know that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. Verse 46. So they returned to Jerusalem, searched for him. 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, what is it that we find Jesus Doing? What is it that Mary and Joseph found Jesus doing here? Listening and asking questions. Like this never changes in his life. It's the pattern of Jesus. It's also, I would say, the pattern of a humble servant leader. He was listening, he was asking questions, and then he was answering. That's what a humble servant leader does. Jesus was no fool. And we can go to Proverbs 
And we can read in Proverbs that a fool just wants to hear himself talk. A fool, a fool sees no value in listening and understanding. What's funny is Jesus had access to all the answers, yet he was still asking questions. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, now listen, any, and you guys, think about your moms just for a second. Like, did, did she have a stance? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, or, you know, a look. Just, that's Mary right here. Son, why have you treated us so? Like, this is a rebuke. Your father and I have been searching for you with great distress. How could you? Jesus was without sin. Don't forget that. He did not disobey here. By staying behind, he did not disobey his mom and dad. Otherwise, that would be sin. And then we're all kind of hosed if that's the case. Okay? He did not sin. So what does that mean? His parents were upset with him, specifically Mary. And I would argue that Mary, out of fear and frustration, rebuked her son. Mary, listen, Mary was not sinless. Mary was not sinless. Mary was born into sin just like you and me. Anybody ever rebuked their kid when it was 100% their fault? Is that just me? Come on, mom and dad. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Just like a little head shake would be nice. Like, Brody, what are you? How, how could you spill my water that I put right there where you walk and play every single day? Right, bro? How, how could my kids not like stand by my side and not budge when I'm in Bass Pro looking at things that I will never be able to afford? And they should do it and like it. But they run off and then I rebuke them. It's pretty normal, right? Now, Jesus was rebuked by his mom and dad, and I would say he was wrongfully rebuked. Now, check this out. And he said to them, this is Jesus. Now, this is very important. These are the first recorded human words of Jesus. Twelve-year-old Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Like, this is a major milestone in the life of Jesus. I don't want to brush over those questions. In those questions, what he was basically saying is, Hey, hey mom, I'm a twelve-year-old Jewish boy about to become a man. You, you should have not had to look for me. You should, you should have seen me gone and known, oh, he's in the temple. Mom, why were you looking for? I have to obey my dad. That's what we do. Why did you have to look for me? 
I don't know what happened between 40 days old and 12 years old in the life of Jesus. I think if God really wanted us to know, he would have told us. I don't know that it's that important, but here's what I do know. We have a 12-year-old boy that somehow knew and verbalized at this moment that he was the son of God. And he did it with questions. The pattern of his ministry. Now, let me give you a side note. Who would have heard him ask these questions and basically say he was the son of God? Like, call this temple, this is my father's house. Who would have heard him say that besides Mary and Joseph? You can read up in the earlier verses when they found him, it says he was sitting among the teachers. What that means is he was sitting among the Sanhedrin. These are like elite guys that you didn't have very much access to. Jesus would have said this and they would have heard it. And can you imagine the response when Jesus would have said that at 12 years old? <laughs> oh, that's cute. 12 year old's calling this his father's house. But here's the thing. See, he wasn't a threat when he was 12 years old. He's going to say the same thing when he's in his 30s, and the same guys are going to kill him for it. So let's just stop for a minute. I want to dive into some of the questions, right? Because Jesus asked questions. At 12 years old, he was 100% human, 100% God. We see the beginning of a pattern of him asking questions. That's what his ministry basically consisted of. And I would argue that the questions that Jesus asked always pierced the hearts of the men and women to who he asked. You get that? His questions pierced. Now check this out. You go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, when we see that word of God, of course, we're talking about the word of God that we can read. But also, don't forget, the Bible says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Here we go. If you underline your Bible right here, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. Jesus, also known as the Word, he questions, he asks questions. And those questions discerned the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of those he, who he asked. And I would argue that was over 2,000 years ago, and his questions continue to discern the intentions and thoughts of our hearts today. Questions like, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, y'all got up today, you took a shower, you did your hair, put on your nice clothes, you're here, you came here, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What did you come for? Could it be that he's asking you that? What do you want from me? 
Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say that I am? How about this question? Hey, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Anybody come in here chasing anything today? A relationship? An American dream? You might catch it. Maybe it's Jesus asking you, what does it profit you if you get it? You can gain it. about this question why are you anxious truly nobody walked in here with some anxiety this morning did they woman why are you weeping who are you seeking anybody look back in their past and see, see some weeping? Because likely there's some patterns in the room where you look back on your past and maybe it was last night or maybe it was Thursday night because that's still the party nights at Missouri State University, is it, right? It was 18, 20 years ago. Maybe it's you look back in your past and you see a Thursday night or a Saturday night and you're weeping and that it's Jesus going, what are you, what are you seeking? And you go and you seek it again next week on Thursday and Saturday night and you find yourself weeping and then you see you go the next Thursday night and Saturday night and you find yourself weeping and maybe it's today Jesus is going, what are you seeking? Because what you're seeking, you'll never find outside of Jesus. How about this question? Do you believe that I am able to do this? I know the stories in the room, whether it's health issues. Do you believe that Jesus is able to do it? Maybe it's a marriage that's so close to ending. Do you believe that Jesus is able to do it? Is he asking you that today? Will you lay down your life for my sake? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do anything that I say? Over 2,000 years later, and his questions still discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Verse 50. After he says, Mom, you should, you should have not even had to look for me. You should have known this is right where I'm supposed to be. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Um, I don't believe Mary and Joseph fully understood who they were raising. And I think I could take you later on in Scripture, as we'll see. There's going to be a time when Jesus is just surrounded by people and his mom and his brothers think he's crazy and they come to get him out of the mess like he's lost his mind that's what they thought of Jesus 
And then somebody comes to Jesus and they're like, hey, your mother and your brothers, like they want you to come over there. And Jesus is like, who are my, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? Here they are. So even then, Mary did not understand who her son was. I don't think she fully understood until the resurrection. I think they would have known stories. They would have known the stories of Samson. They would have known the stories of Samuel, all those Old Testament stories. They would have known them. And I think in their mind, they would have just been like, yeah, this, I mean, I remember this announcement that we're so far removed from 12 years ago, but life has been pretty mundane. Surely the boy we're raising is just somebody like a Samson or a Samuel. But the literal son of God, I don't think they grasped it. And Jesus, he, he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now, let me stop right here. I don't know how many high schoolers or middle schoolers or whatever schoolers that we have in here, um, but any of you that are still under the authority of your mom and your dad, we read right here that Jesus was submissive to them. And here's the thing. His mom and dad were incorrect The rebuke was incorrect. But he was submissive to them. Brad, you don't understand. Like, my, my parents are wrong. They don't understand. Jesus had parents just like you. They were wrong sometimes. They didn't understand. And what's awesome is he shows you in his word how you are supposed to respond to that. So now what are you going to do? Yeah, okay, your parents are wrong. Yeah, they don't understand. What are you going to do? Because Jesus showed you what to do. Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Now, parents, side note. We are your allies. No question about it. The pastors of this church are your allies in parenting but that will not always manifest itself in us saying you are right all the time because you're not. I'm not. You're not. None of us are. We're just like Mary and Joseph. Funny, I have a friend group, and Jenny and I have gone to this close group of friends, and we're like, here's the deal. We screw this thing up more times than we want to admit. Here's what we need from you. We need you to point out our blind spots and let us know where you see we might be incorrect in our parenting. Because we're not always right. Mary did treasure up all these things in her heart. Daniel talked about that last week. This is who Luke would have been interviewing to get all of his information or most of his information. But here's one I'll bring to our attention. It says, and his mother treasured the things in her heart. Um, we never hear or read of Joseph again. You ever think about that? I mean, not counting when we look back at the genealogy of Jesus, but other than that, like, there's, we don't read about him again. And I think there's a couple reasons for that, okay? I think starting right here, we see this major shift in the narrative of Jesus himself, right? He said, I have to be in my father's house, and he wasn't talking about Joseph. And for the rest of Jesus' life, when he talks about his dad, he's talking about his dad. 
Like he points us to his dad, God the Father. He says things like, I am the only way to the Father. He says things like, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. The second reason is everyone that's ever studied this thoroughly, it's widely agreed upon by all those who have studied the life of Jesus that sometime between the age of 12 and the age of 29, Joseph died. Now, why do I bring this up? Um, Have you ever thought about this? Because I want you to if you haven't. Do you think Jesus was close to and loved Joseph, his dad? I mean, if we know Jewish culture, that's an easy answer. Of course he was. Do you think Jesus grieved the loss of a parent? Do you think Jesus ever grieved the loss of someone very close to him? Hebrews 4.15, that's where we started today. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Of course he grieved the loss of a parent. Of course he loved Joseph. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone close to him. It's funny because you can read about Jesus recorded in Matthew, like chapter 6, chapter 13. You can record a couple other questions that were asked as Jesus is around. Here, here, here they are. One question was like, is this, is this guy not a carpenter in his adult life, right? You've read that. Like people going, is it, wait, is this a carpenter? What's he saying? And then in Matthew chapter 13, you can see, is, is this not the carpenter's son? And Jesus would have heard those questions being asked. And I cannot help but believe that in his adult life, when he would hear those questions asked about his dad, Joseph, the carpenter, that his heart would go back to his days with his earthly father and he would grieve. Don't raise your hand. Anybody lost anyone close to you? You know what I'm talking about. He was 100% human. He's 100% God. Jesus knows what you have been through this morning. Jesus knows what you are going through right now. Jesus knows what questions to ask you to get to hear So we're going to receive communion. We do it every week here. And there's another question that Jesus asked that I want to read to you. This is huge because he didn't ask this to a human. If you could put, put the Hebrews 4.15 verse back up there while I read this question that Jesus asked it's a very important question he didn't ask a human and here it is my God my God why have you forsaken me
So he goes from 12 years old like, no, no, I have to be with my dad. This is what I have to be in my father's house. I have to be with my dad. This moment on the cross when he asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is his dad. This would have emotionally wrecked him. So we're going to receive communion. You're going to tear the bread, right? And that's representing the body of Jesus broken for you. And you're going to dip it in a cup. And that's that representation of the blood that was spilled for you. But we cannot stop and think that the price that Jesus paid for you and me was only physical. Being utterly forsaken would have been the most painful thing he went through. And he asked his dad, why have you forsaken me.